The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Happy November. Only about 60 days left in the year, y'all. Later in the show, word nerd Emily Brewster will teach us obscure ways to say the things that you do daily. But right now, it seems only fitting that no matter how you feel about Thanksgiving, this month is where food is foremost in our minds. And hunger and how to combat it is a question we are constantly asking ourselves because no one, and we do mean no one, deserves to go hungry. All month, NEPM will be highlighting stories about folks working to end hunger for people right here in Western Mass including us. So let's go take a tour of the organization that kind of started us on this journey and for whom Monty will be marching 43 miles later on this month. The Food Bank of Western Mass have recently relocated from their original building in Hatfield to a new larger building that is within the county where they have the most demand. We head to Chicopee to have Andrew Morehouse, executive director of the Food Bank of Western Mass, take us around the new digs. You guys got a key card into all of your new spaces too, just like we do in our new yeah, space. Yeah, isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, it's like yeah, Fort Knox. Yes, it, yeah, it is like Fort Knox. This wow. is um, Alex, our volunteer coordinator. Hi. Hello, Alex. Monty I'm Monty. Monty. Nice to meet you. Hi, Khalees. Hi, and nice Khalees to meet you. Who's the, uh, the co-host of Fabulous 413. You've yes. probably heard it. So this is our community room. So this is where we're going to have all kinds of events. You, you remember it yeah, in yeah. its former life. So, so totally. obviously a lot larger. A lot more windows. A lot more windows. There's a grass area out there that we'll be able to have events. So we'll oh, be fun. able to tent up. Yeah, yeah so, that's uh, really nice. Yeah, once once things settle down with the neighbors, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe by next year we should be in. I've heard we're a little bit about on, that. We're already on talking terms. I oh, mean, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is an industrial park. It's a, it's a business park. Business park. Okay, yeah, business right. park. And so it's new to them, and we are going through, you know, some uh, ebbs and flows, let's just say. Yeah. Uh, and getting the building finished. I so. find it interesting that they forgot it was a business park. 20 years of vacant land and tractor trailers who are contracted or subcontracted or sub-subcontracted, we can't quite figure it out, to deliver food to us. They're just typing in 25 Carew Street, and so they're entering on the residential street. Which is uh, how I came in. Where right. you should. <laughs> yes. unless, unless you brought a tractor trailer, no, my friend. I bought a tiny little electric car. Okay. Uh, so they're trying to come in there and cause an ha- havoc. Is that part of the school. problem that the re- That's that one of the, the biggest residents. issues we're finding we're, oh, we're having right now. I think that'll work itself out eventually, I think. Yeah, we're working on working that out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> neighborhood gossip. That's become good. very public. Yeah, we heard about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the Hamden room and you have the Berkshire room across yeah. the way. And then we obviously have a Frank room and a Hampshire room. Which room's the best? Well, it depends which room you're in. (laughs) They're all great. This hallway takes you right to the warehouse, uh, but this is where volunteers will go right to the uh, sorting room, help us sort and inspect donated food. Mm-hmm. We can't go in the warehouse, but we can take you to the mezzanine where you'll see it from oh, cool. from a bird's eye view, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So this is the first floor in the office side. So this is all the programmatic staff, uh, SNAP outreach and enrollment, food assistance referral for patients who uh, face food insecurity, or agency relations that interfaces with all the pantries and meal sites, of which we have about 175 now. Uh, also our nutrition team is over on on that far side, a brown bag and mobile food bank operations staff work here as well. 
the lighting in this hallway is incredible. With these like long tubes of light. Yeah. yeah well, so it's good to put a little bit of art into your activism, yeah. I think. Exactly, exactly. It's welcoming and it doesn't feel like it's as siloed as it might otherwise. It's nice also to have a welcoming environment. If you're coming to talk about food insecurity, something you might be insecure about yourself, it's nice to have a welcoming environment to go to so you don't feel as put on when you yeah. show up. That's right. Yeah, and we try to make everyone who comes here feel comfortable. We got the Silicon Valley, you know, game stuff, you know, make give it that feel, you know. That you guys are so hip. hip. Isn't this a massager? Yes, that's what it is. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, what kind of, I was like, what kind of game is this? It's a massage game. It looked, it seemed to me like a little fiddle day of hand fiddler I'm thing. I'm pretty sure this is a back massager, but you know, you guys go ahead and call whatever you need to call. This is Khalees. Jillian and Cheyenne. They're like Jillian the and two go-to people with the march. Like every email that has to do with the march goes to them. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's our pleasure. So again, this is all back office, all the development team, HR, administration, finance. We have a good time up here. Yeah, I bet. With that Silicon Valley toy massage you game. And oh, here, here, this is the bank. This is the bank, yes. This is where we're fortunate to be able to receive, store, and distribute uh, millions of pounds of food every year. It, it comes to this new warehouse, which is twice the size, has three times the storage capacity as our former Hatfield facility. And, you know, we're now in a position to receive a lot more food and get it out to people who need access to healthy food on any given day as we continue, as we like to say, uh, confront the underlying causes of hunger through public education and advocacy uh, so that we can change the playing field. So everyone always has access to healthy food. It's huge. Yes. I know, look at that. Yeah, this is, yeah four uh, racks high as opposed to three racks in our former Hatfield facility. This over here is the agency relations side where food pantries and meal sites come with their volunteers or staff to pick up orders of food that they've ordered online and schedule an appointment. They'll come all to this side of the building and pick it up on their scheduled appointment time. So everything's segregated. You came in the, the parking area for visitors and staff. Pantries and meal sites will come with their pickup trucks or small box trucks and they'll also enter that way and come around this side of the building so they're, they're not interfering with uh, guests and staff vehicles and all of the tractor trailers enter on the, cur the East Main Street side or supposed to. You hear that tractor trailers? Yes. Don't make the neighbors mad. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> These are our sorting rooms where volunteer visitors come and help us inspect and repackage donated food and then it gets added to our inventory and is available for any of those 170 plus food pantries and meal sites across all four counties to get it to their folks in their communities to, to access it. And we have nine loading docks off to this side that wow. you can't see. So there's, there's a lot out there. And staff right now are going around and picking orders that food pantries and meal sites have ordered on our online ordering system. It's a live inventory system, so the minute they order it, it gets deducted. And other staff are probably receiving or unloading tractor trailers of food that's been delivered. It'll get weighed and counted and added to our inventory. And so food's coming in and out every day, hundreds of thousands of pounds.
And these guys have fun. I know, look at them see. driving around in those oh, little yeah, carts. Yeah. They it's pretty have fun. the safer forklifts, like the, the front driving ones, which are is important for warehouse work. Like they're just much safer for people who work in, with forklifts. You want to uh, sit down and talk the yeah. state of hunger in the western part of the state of Massachusetts? Speaking with Andrew Morehouse, executive director of the Food Bank of Western Mass and its brand new digs here in Chicopee. We're happy to be here in Hamden County. We really are. Yeah. It's a beautiful facility. Yeah, well, as we said, you know, we, when we were thinking about finding larger space, this started probably around 2014 when we were still experiencing the lag effect of the Great Recession. And we were running out of space up in Hatfield to store more food. And so we realized this is, was going to come to a head and we needed to have a much bigger facility. So we thought about where we want to be and whether we need to have two facilities. And so in 2016, we started meeting with our board of directors and we did for many, many years until we, you know, bit the bullet. And in 2020 and bought this property, but we kind of made the decision that we really needed to be in Hamden County with the largest population center, the largest concentration of folks and households who experience food insecurity, and at the crossroads of the two major interstates where we knew we would be able to leverage the efficiencies of trucks coming up up and down and east and west to you know, receive and store and distribute all that food that was passing through. So it's been a great move, and we're really excited to you know, deepen our partnerships as well with communities uh, you know black and brown and and everything in between uh, <laughs> right <laughs> because uh, we know that black and brown communities in particular are disproportionately affected by all kinds of issues including food insecurity and many others and and we know that there are many underlying causes of hunger and honestly systemic racism is one of them and to the extent that we can be here working in Hamden County closer to these communities and and many of the great uh, organizations that serve them, we can have a better impact uh, in addressing uh, food insecurity and ultimately, hopefully, ending hunger as we know it. Let's give a little brief history of the Food Bank of Western Mass. Ah, and brief? we're here with the longtime executive director of the Food Bank, Andrew Morehouse. And I've been lucky to work with the Food Bank very closely for the last 15 years. But even before that, uh, as we're going to do the 14th March for the Food Bank on right. Monday and Tuesday, November 20th and 21st, where we'll walk from not too far from here, yeah. Mason Square in Springfield, to Northampton on day one and from Northampton to Greenfield on day two. But just about 40 years ago, I think maybe 42, the community gathered together because they knew there was a need and created a place that would become a central hub to fight hunger in the area. You know, you say you work with 175 food pantries, but they were all kind of disparately going after their own thing without one central location to draw from. Yeah, the whole food bank movement began in the 60s, uh, and the first food bank uh, actually started in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. For a long time before then, there had been food pantries and meal sites. I mean, that goes back, uh, you know... Thousands of years throughout the whole of human history, maybe? Yeah, I yeah. mean, like, there's always <laughs> been, like, food disparity and people in communities trying to come together to alleviate that as much as they can. Yeah. Exactly. So even when you hear the term gleaning, you know, that goes back to the feudal era. People from the community in those days, it was peasants, you know, they would glean the fields 
meals that were of, of vegetables or food that was left over that the lords uh, left behind. Well, here we are in this day and age. You can draw your own parallels. <laughs> uh, we have an abundance uh, of food, and you know we don't have any lords in Western Massachusetts, but we have farmers who partner with us and actually harvest food that they can't sell and donate it to the food bank. But getting back to your question, food banks evolved in the 60s. In the 80s, actually, uh, food banks started popping up all across the country, and that was part of the strategy, the private sector public charity strategy of the Reagan administration to, to address poverty and food insecurity after the fiscal crisis of the 1980s. If you recall, in 1980, it was really high inflation, and the Fed chair at the time just ratcheted up interest rates to end inflation. Kind of sounds familiar. Uh, <laughs> but that triggered a deep recession. And at the same time, the Reagan administration chose to slash public benefits. And so his contribution or his administration's contribution to addressing food insecurity and poverty was to throw a lot of money at the establishment of food banks across the country. He wanted the charitable nonprofit sector to solve hunger and food insecurity. Because prior to that, in the 1970s, a lot of work was done from the federal government side of things to That's eradicate right. hunger. We came very close as a nation to alleviating the vast majority of hunger through these government-funded, tax-funded programs. And yeah. if I'm not mistaken, that's part of FDR stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the food stamp program was born out of the Great Depression. The food stamp program in particular evolved over the years, and the other pillars of the federal government's anti-hunger programs in included not only uh, the food stamp program, but also school lunches and meals. And by the 70s, that had expanded so dramatically that you could say we were closer than we ever had been as a country to eliminating food insecurity, which had that term hadn't been invented yet, but you know this notion of hunger, quote unquote. And it's surprising that here we are in the 2020s now, post-COVID, and uh, the federal government reinstated universal school meals during the period of COVID across the country. That has since expired, but the great state uh, or Commonwealth of Massachusetts uh, recently passed universal school meals uh, for all kids this past legislative session. More at the Food Bank of Western Mass coming up as we sit with Executive Director Andrew Morehouse to learn about the many ways his organization aids the area by alleviating hunger. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Speaking with Andrew Morehouse, Executive Director of the Food Bank of Western Mass here in Chicopee, I think a lot of people would love to believe that charity and food banking and donating can alleviate hunger. But talk about the actual statistics about what happened during the pandemic when things like free meals for kids, when things like the child tax credit were around. Sure. And you could see data come out of that small period of time that speaks dramatically to the state of hunger. Yeah, when we as a country invested in all kinds of social service programs, not the least of which were an expansion uh, and increase of SNAP benefits uh, for individuals, and, of, and particularly the child care tax credit, poverty was reduced by, I think, 40% or something like that. In a SNAP? Yeah. 40% right away. 
And so, you know, that speaks to a lesson learned and whether we as a society want to continue to make that kind of investment in communities and households in the same way that we make investments in the private sector and businesses. The benefits, of course, to any kind of investment, and in this case, households and and communities, is for the long term. We know that it will improve people's nutrition, their ability to, if they're kids, to concentrate in school, be successful, enter the workforce. Uh, prevent all kinds of chronic illnesses uh, uh, for elders and others. So that can have long-lasting effects uh, on our society, on our workforce. Uh, Why wouldn't we want to invest in, in, in the most important resource we have in the private and the public sectors, the people who work there? And so whether it's competitiveness or just the health of our communities, whatever argument uh, makes sense, uh, we'll, we'll make every one of them because we view, <laughs> we view ourselves as a big tent and we welcome everyone to, to get involved in preventing food insecurity and ending hunger because we know it's right and it works. Uh, and whether you just want to donate food or donate funds to help us secure food, healthy food at that, that's great. But if you want to help us uh, address the underlying causes of hunger through public policy and change the, the rules and the playing field so everyone has access to healthy food, we welcome you. I think that a lot of people maybe don't know how much into advocacy the food bank is and, and how, how multifaceted it is. It's not just a giant warehouse that stores food. It's also not a place where individuals come to that warehouse to get food. That's right. It supplies the 175 partner agencies that you work with. Mothership Hunger, I call it. They all come here. <laughs> yep. They get the food, as we were talking about in the warehouse, that yep. they've ordered online or whatever. And, and they then bring the food it. fighters go out in their tiny trucks to go and destroy hunger in their tiny locations. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> but advocacy is a huge part of it. And what I've learned in my years in association with the food bank, I was part of a, a task force to end hunger, along with our NEPM colleague, Elizabeth Roman, and many others. You can't food bank your way out of hunger. Charity alone, donations alone of money or food is not even going to come close to alleviating the problem. So advocacy is a huge part of what you do. Can you talk a little bit about some of the priorities that the food bank is working on now? Sure. And just to reinforce your previous point, for every meal that the food bank network across the country, all 200 food banks, provides, the federal SNAP program provides nine meals. So to the extent that that program isn't protected and in fact expanded, we food bank across the country will feel the brunt of that because when the SNAP program isn't able to provide enough food assistance to individuals who are are confronting food insecurity, those folks are going to come to pantries and meal sites who in turn are going to rely on food banks. And if uh, there's no way we could ever be a substitute for the SNAP program. Uh, So we're really providing very immediate food assistance, uh, particularly when the cogs of uh, federal government and state government to a certain extent are unable to respond to disasters like the COVID pandemic or inflationary period that we're still living through now, food banks can operate very effectively, but will never be a long-term solution to uh, food insecurity. Therefore, we know we have to focus on public policy. And so we do so at the federal level, but we know we have more of an impact at the state level because our state delegation in Western Massachusetts, and for that matter, across the, the Commonwealth, is far more enlightened about how to address uh, issues like food insecurity. State Senator Joe Comerford worked for the Food Bank of Western Mass. That's Mindy right. Dom, the state rep for Amherst, ran the Amherst Survival Center for many years before she became a state rep, so they really do know the ins and outs. And many others as well who have had no prior affiliation to the Food Bank. You know, they, 
they just understand that you know you have to help your constituents and their constituents are are struggling you know we look at issues like our literally bread and butter uh, protecting the MEFAP program the Massachusetts Emergency Food Assistance Program which provides funding to all four food banks so that we can buy food together uh, and get the best prices because we're buying in volume to other programs we were very we were successful with many other partners in getting Commonwealth of Massachusetts to pass the Healthy Incentive Program, which provides incentives to SNAP beneficiaries to purchase local food at uh, farmers markets and uh, local farm stands and the like, uh, and they actually get added dollars to buy more healthy food and support local farmers uh, at the same time. There's only four food banks? So Western Mass, Central Mass, Greater Boston, and, and the Merrimack Maryland. Valley. But the Food Bank of Western Mass hits all four counties of Western Mass. That's right. Mm-hmm. You had been in Hatfield, you're now in Chicopee, but your commitment to all of the four counties is still very strong. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, we finally have hired our fifth driver for the fifth truck that we have, and so now we can uphold that commitment by establishing delivery routes for all the pantries and meal sites up in Franklin County and uh, Berkshire County and parts of Hampshire County that find it very hard to come all the way down here to get food. So we we said we will make a commitment to getting food up to you in the same way that we delivered it down to Hamden County when we were up in, in Hatfield. Andrew Morehouse, the executive director of the Food Bank of Western Mass in your new location in Chicopee. Give us some of the nuts and bolts about the state of hunger right now. How many people are hungry? It's surprising and and actually rather startling that food insecurity has risen since the end of the COVID period, the height of the COVID period of 2021. Uh, And that's because all of the public benefits that during the pandemic area that we were just talking about have expired. Uh, And at the same time, inflation spiked dramatically. So I think we're like a year and a half into it now. Uh, Inflation has come down quite a bit, but it was high for a long, long time. And because of that, folks couldn't uh, meet their basic expenses. Because of that, folks had to seek out food assistance and they're going to pantries and meal sites. And the data we have now is that while numbers dropped last year to about 89,000 every month across the four county, 89,000 individuals seeking food assistance, it's now back up uh, over 100,000. Every month? Every month across the the network of uh, 175 you know, local food pantries, meal sites, shelters getting their food here from the food bank. The other thing that I think was an eye-opening experience to me when I was getting involved with the food bank early on is it was around Thanksgiving. We were at Whole Foods in Hadley. We had a shopping cart out in front of there and we said, make a donation of a can to the food bank of Western Mass. And one of the people on the team here said to me, you know, it's gonna cost you $4 for that can of pinto beans over there in Whole Foods. We can buy practically a whole pallet of pinto beans with those $4. So talk a little bit about why monetary contributions, how they can go that much farther. Well, I think it speaks to the investment that friends of the food bank, donors of food and donors of funds have made for the last 40 years. What that has accomplished to this date is a new warehouse, distribution centers, we'd like to call it, that has the capacity to receive, store, and distribute vast quantities of food, and a lot of it is donated. So because we are able to receive about half of our inventory in the form of donated food, by virtue of this warehouse, we're able to turn a dollar donated on the portion of the the food that we 
do have to pay for and on the overhead that we have to pay for this building to leverage all that donated food. Because the community invests in, in, in our new food distribution center and our operations to support it, to keep the lights on and keep the staff um, moving that food, we're able to turn a dollar that's donated into the equivalent of three donated meals of food. And that's just the donated food itself. It doesn't speak to all of the food that's paid for by the federal or state government. That would be an additional amount of leveraged food. But just the donated food is leveraged because individuals donate a dollar or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. That helps us receive, store, and distribute millions of pounds of donated food. I think one thing that the pandemic taught a lot of people is how close they might be to not knowing where their next meal is going to come from. All of a sudden, through no fault of their own, their job was gone and that income was gone. And while they could make it work week to week, once that paycheck didn't come, it was an eye-opening experience. Maybe we have already forgotten that lesson to a certain degree since then. But for those who wonder, who are the people that are relying on the food of the food bank? What are the circumstances that brought them to this place? I think there's a lot of misconceptions that yeah. go into the idea of who's relying on emergency food. Well, you spoke to the point that there were a lot of households, families who were gainfully employed. And when COVID struck, uh, they lost their source of income. And suddenly they found themselves in need of seeking out food assistance. Well, the same circumstances existed before COVID and they exist now, whereby individuals and families, they confront life and life is tough. And there are all kinds of obstacles out there. There are people who may be gainfully employed, and they're just not earning enough, particularly in this period of inflation. They need food assistance, and they could be working full-time on a, on a minimum wage job now, which is 15 bucks an hour, and that's not cutting it. But, you know, lots of other things can happen. Uh, you know, people can have an accident, or they can become sick, and they can't work. Families that are separated due to all kinds of divorce, domestic abuse, you name it. You know, they're going through some challenging times. They may not be able to afford the cost of living, uh, keeping a car on the road to get a job. They may not have the, the experience or training or education to get a job that will pay more. So that takes time out of the nine to five work time to, to, to acquire those skills or that education. Or they might be able to pay for childcare so they can go to work. And there's all kinds of circumstances. And in fact, we know that there are a lot of other barriers, including outright racism, whether it's overt or systemic that prevents people from uh, being able to be gainfully employed. And in a perfect example that we're talking about uh, at the food bank and have been involved in uh, speaking to the issue of public policy is public transportation. Mm -hmm. Public transportation is a barrier and it doesn't work. It either doesn't, it isn't accessible or it's too convoluted to be able to get to work and back or for folks who, who need public transportation to go to a supermarket, there's a two-bag limit. So if you have a large family, you, first of all, you know, shuffling uh, from the supermarket to a bus station with two bags is in and of itself a challenge. But, you know, if you need more than two bags of groceries, which in this day and age you do, uh, to feed your family, you can't do it. 
So those, those are some examples of it. And unfortunately, we know that black and brown communities are disproportionately impacted on it because they r- rely on public transportation more than, than others. So that's an example of systemic racism and why we feel at the food bank we need to be addressing public transportation. Because to the extent we can address public transportation as an is- issue, we can address food insecurity. I think one of those victories was getting a PVTA stop much closer to the Amherst Survival Center. Am I right about that? Uh, that was early on an example, but now we've got some incredible examples uh, all across uh, Western Massachusetts, at least, if not uh, the Commonwealth, where communities are investing in small transit. Uh, they're creating ride shares, uh, uh, you know, smaller shuttle buses, focusing on seniors uh, and other communities. And, and those are hopefully the pilot projects that will fuel innovative solutions to the larger kind of static PVTA transportation system we have here and and come up with more creative, innovative solutions that address the, the challenges that communities have, both rural and urban. We'll hear all about the upcoming March for the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts, which will cover 43 miles from Springfield to Greenfield over the course of two days, and about some of the factors that lead to hunger in our area. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Speaking with Andrew Morehouse, Executive Director of the Food Bank of Western Mass, who will be going along with us in the 43-mile march on Monday, November 20th, and Tuesday, November 21st, starting in Mason Square in Springfield, a food desert where there is not, in walking distance, great access to fresh, healthy food, all the way up to Northampton, where there's a plethora of uh, supermarkets and available things, where you can talk about some of the systemic issues we were just, that's a little microcosm of that right there. Specifically due to all the people who get real mad when we mention the tofu carton. Right. <laughs> then from Northampton to Greenfield, the next day, 43 total miles, U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern comes with us, as well as lots of other folks who start teams, join for bits and pieces of it, raise money, dress up in costumes, uh, have this weird, strange event. But... What will that money that is raised through the course of those two days and, and slightly beyond yeah. go to support? We, 100% of it comes to the food bank. What, what, right. what, are those, what do those dollars mean? Well, our goal again this year will be to raise half a million dollars, which will translate into the equivalent of 1.5 million meals. The funds that are donated during the march will automatically and directly translate into food on people's table and healthy food at that. We know we'll be successful because this event has proven over the years, thanks to you, Monty, and all our supporters, that when you engage in a dialogue with people uh, on the radio uh, about the issues, we learn things. We learn the nuances of why food insecurity exists, and we're reminded of how important we as a community are when we rally behind uh, our friends and our neighbors who need our assistance And we get the job done because sometimes you can't rely on others. You have to do it yourself. We think it's actually pretty significant when we raise the equivalent of 1.5 million meals, uh, which, you know, will actually feed 100,000 people for a month. You know, that's pretty significant. And when we continue to raise awareness so more and more people get it and join us and join our partners across the Commonwealth to see what we can do, not only to make sure people have access to healthy food today, but we can transform the world that we live in so we don't have to be doing this forever. I love that your endeavor is basically to make your job obsolete. 
Well, you know, I like I, I hear that a lot, and I, you know, I I don't want to be Pollyannish. I think there'll always be a need for public service mm-hmm. uh, and and even food banking. Hopefully, so there'll come a time when we don't need to rely on this large of a building, but we. We can do other things with this building to support yeah. the public good. Black box theater. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Within the food realm. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, but there's plenty of theater you can do about food. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you mentioned, you're learning the nuances of this, and a lot of people don't necessarily understand the nuance, but there's a lot of other work that you do, too. There's so many facets to what happens here. There's nutrition work and like community building work too. Like, can you talk about some of the other, the other, other things? Yeah. Well, we're, we're trying to refer to the work that we do as food assistance because you're right, so much of it entails not only providing healthy food at the moment to people when they need it, but we know that there's also lots of other things that we can do. We value the importance, like so many other people do, of nutritional food. That's not so easy to wrap your head around. There's a lot of components to that. First of all, what is nutritious food? That depends on what culture you come from, particularly, and do you have access to nutritious food? And if you do, do you know how to prepare it? So we have a team of nutritionists that help folks understand that, uh, walk through that together, learn about it. In our new warehouse and distribution center now, we have the ability to offer workshops on site and live stream them as well, uh, so that if individuals can't make it here, they can learn how to turn the healthy food that we're distributing and providing uh, into healthy, wholesome meals, how to go and use your SNAP benefits to purchase healthy food on a budget uh, at your local supermarket, hopefully, if you can get to it, and if not, at a local corner store. Uh, We are partnering with uh, health centers and hospitals who now screen their patients for food insecurity, and when they screen positive, they refer them to us, and we help them tap into our network of food pantries and meal sites across all four counties. That's make, a pilot program that grew out of a think tank here at the food bank. That's right. Yep, yeah, you were probably part of. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, a wink. <laughs> we help them enroll in SNAP benefits, and a lot of other food banks across the country are doing that. What we think is unique to our approach is that we don't stop there. Uh, our team of three coordinators are also asking uh, patients who face food insecurity what are the barriers that, that you're that you're facing be above and beyond food insecurity? Because we know that that's a symptom of many other underlying causes, and oftentimes it is affordable childcare, affordable housing, affordable transportation, and so we connect them with other uh, social service providers to so that they can ideally address those barriers and and get a support to overcome them. Right, we haven't talked about our two food bank farms. But we partner with organic farmers. They grow vegetables. In lieu of cash rent, they give us a share of the harvest. Uh, And we're able to distribute that food through the Food Assistance Network. We've hired our own farm manager, and he's growing uh, vegetables using no-till methods. It's a regenerative farm, so we're protecting the soil. And um, we've made a commitment to turn our farm into an incubator for farmers of color, black, uh, indigenous, and other people of color, uh, because we know that farmers are reaching retirement. They don't have successors. We know that farm farmers, white, black, and brown, can't access land. They can't find it. So we want to use our farm to 
uh, support farmers of color and help them transition from farming on our farm to buying their own farmland. That's our goal, that's our vision. You know, in small ways, and little ways, in, in visible and, and not so visible ways, uh, we're trying to carry out our mission to feed people now, feed our neighbors in need now who need food assistance, and lead the community to end hunger by partnering uh, with anyone and everyone who wants to be part of this Big Ten. Those little waves make bigger waves down the road, though, so that's, that's right. important. That's the goal. That's it. We've got more stories about hunger across Western Mass and the many folks in the four counties who do their best to combat it all month here on our show and across NEPM. But next, the word nerd learns us some new words. Emily Brewster, senior editor at Merriam-Webster, teaches us extra fancy vocabulary for very basic things we do on the daily. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, the dictionary in Springfield, although Emily Brewster herself hails from Greenfield, a follow-up to our conversation from, I think it was last week, about Noah Webster. Two weeks. And his attempt to change the spelling of the English language. We were at the library. They referenced it on Saturday Night Live. Not Noah Webster in particular, but the idea that we took the U out of so many English words, except for the word glamour. But one day, if we're brave, we'll get rid of the U in a lot of British words like color and armor. But by God, we will keep the British U in the word glamour. (laughs) Only glamour, sir? Only glamour. That is my dream for our countrymen. And I thought it was so funny and and uh, pertinent to what we had been talking about just a couple weeks ago. It's a glamorous word. It needs to keep its you. Totally. It does. It's actually related to the word grammar, you know, because grammar is also glamorous. Ah. Wow. There's no U in grammar. No, there's no U in grammar. <laughs> yeah, rules. I saw that sketch too. It was very funny. Today we're going to talk about weird words for not so weird things that we do. Not- yeah, these are obscure words for things that we use more well Germanic based and, and less obscure words for all the time. So I'm going to see how how well you two can guess what they mean. Because and I, you, I have a real life example of this. OK, cool. <laughs> oh, awesome. All right. Give us a quiz. Tell us the first word and we'll try to figure out what it means. But I really want to know what Khalees's word is. Maybe it's one of these. Oh, at the the book launch, somebody mentioned that they'd had to go and look up what pugilism is because we mentioned it in the book. Oh. Khalees has a new book out called Sir Morian, written with New York Times bestselling author Holly Black. It's a picture book for kids about and, and, a knight of the round table who's pugilistic. <laughs> and I'm sure that nobody expected in a book that's for four to eight-year-olds to see the word pugilism, but there it is. <laughs> Pugilism is such a good word, though. Thank you. It means fighting. Yeah, yes. yeah fighting. And, fighting. And boxing specifically yes. is sometimes referred to as pugilism. I got that one right. Yes. Wow. How about, how about this one, though? Ossetancy. O-S-C-I-T-A-N-C-Y. Ossetancy. We're not going to cheat and use the internets. Ossetancy. I can give you a hint if you want. O-S-C-I-T-A-N-C-Y. Does it mean spinning around? No. Does it mean, oh, that's a weird, either travel or translation? No. This is something that most of us do in the morning or sometimes in the mid-afternoon. Yawn? Yes. (laughs) Nice. Good second guess. (laughs) Yeah. It is the act of gaping or yawning. Wow. I like that. Yeah. I'm stricken with It can also refer to drowsiness. Oh, yeah. That's why Khalees and I drink so much coffee, to avoid ossetancy. Also because of caffeine headaches. Yeah, I have one right now. 
I'm working <laughs> on it. The coffee is mid mid coffee. The root of it, os o s means mouth in Latin, and citare c i t a r a means to put in motion. <laughs> so it, it's it's really it's really quite an image, you know. At its at its roots, it is about putting your mouth in motion. Oh, and they're contagious. So now everybody who is listening to the fabulous four one three just yawned at the same time with their ossetancy. They're just bored of the show. I knew it. I've got another one. Are you ready? Yep. Pandiculation. P-A-N-D-I-C-U-L-A-T-I-O-N. Want to take a stab at it, Khalees? I'm trying to get around my head thinking that it's all speaking of some, like, but it can't. That would be my guess. Something along the lines of everybody can understand what you're talking about. Interesting, right? Because it it, it shares some some sounds with right. articulation, yeah. But and it doesn't share the T. It's got a D. Pandiculation. Well, diction and you know dictionary yeah. oh, and right. stuff yeah. like that have to do with words yeah. and pan meaning yeah. bread. No, I mean meaning yeah. like everybody all. can understand it. Right? Is it kind of like a, a like a polymath? Hmm. Tell us the answer, Emily Brewster. All right, Khalees, I know you polymath every day, but most of us don't. Right? These are things that everybody does every day, even those of us who are not so brilliant. Pandiculation is stretching. Oh. Yeah, like you wake up and you yeah. pandiculate. After your ossetancy, you pandiculate yes. a little bit. It's all about yes. waking up. <laughs> yeah, this Latin pendiculari, meaning to stretch oneself. Isn't that a good one? Yeah. That's a good one. Ah, a little pandiculation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The next one is one that not everybody does every day, but we all do it some days. Sternutation. This one's a little more common. People may may know this one. Is it when you wake up and you like woke up on the wrong side of the bed and you don't want to talk to everybody and you give a salutation, <laughs> but you sound really stern because you're angry that you had to wake up? A stern mutation? <laughs> no. You know what's funny about this is that like now I cannot think of anything that I do on a daily basis. <laughs> Except for the coffee that we mentioned before. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think they have a word for that. All these terms have to do with bodily things. It's a more common occurrence during ragweed season. Oh, sneezing. Yeah. Stern mutation. Stern mutation. Gesundheit. Yes. I'm going to try to work yeah. it into my actual sneezes. Stern mutation. Yeah. Again, Latin, stern mutare means to sneeze. Okay, this one I know you know. This is ambulation. Oh, yeah. I believe I know this as well. We walk. Yeah. Yeah. Walking. Walking. I'm going to have yeah. to do some Walking. massive yeah. ambulation in the next couple of weeks here from Springfield to Greenfield, 43 miles. Don't forget to yeah. pandiculate first. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pandiculate first or else I'll end up in an ambulance as opposed <laughs> to uh, ambulate. Latin root is ambulare, meaning to walk. There's also circumambulate. Do you know that word? Walk around. To circle on foot, especially ritualistically. Yes. Ooh. You might and in you your often meditation do it practice. What's Wittershins? Yeah. Oh, Wittershins is counterclockwise. Oh, I like That's that. That's right. But then there is this pair, noctambulism and somnambulism. Walking at night and sleepwalking. Sleep. They're both sleepwalking. Oh, they're both sleepwalking. Yeah. And how about funambulism? Walking at a funeral. No, it's way more fun than that. A second Funam- line funeral in say- New Orleans. <laughs> what is it? Tightrope walking. Not oh. fun. To me, that's tight terrifying. Walking. You gotta play yeah. the Janelle Monae song about the tightrope. Okay, yes. good. Okay. Done. Some of these, and some of our banter may cause people to engage in this suspiration. Groaning? <laughs> no, but close. 
Not as loud. Like a sigh? Oh, a sigh. Yeah, a sigh. Oh. A long, deep breath, a sigh. <sighs> Suspiration. Yeah. Khalees, that's her number one response to most things I say. <sighs> Here's another one that is is quite, quite obscure and ripe for playing off of. Manducation. If it were modern, it would have a different meaning than it is. It yes. where is it where is it where men go to learn how to mansplain? I do believe that's where where the modern meaning would come. <laughs> come to get manducation so you can learn how to mansplain. It's, it's what the Kens do when they come back to Barbie. Right. <laughs> Don't question it. Just roll with it, tiny baby. Don't call me baby. Manducation. Does it have to do with chewing? Oh, that's a good guess. Yeah. Okay, manjuke. A little more broadly than just chewing. Chewing and oh, so swallowing. It's, so eating? It's, it, just eat. eating. Yeah, eating, ah, Police, You got it. Nice. Yes. It's, it just means eating. Yeah. Because mandibles, that's kind of what came to my mind, actually. And Very good thinking. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Now, it, the word is also applied to a specific part of the communion service in which the sacrament is received. That can also be called manjucation. But its Latin root just meant simply eating, the act of eating. And it also has been used to mean the act of chewing. And Catholics it, believe you're eating a man. So I there was you go. going to say something along those lines. Like it, it, it's fitting because you're eating the body. I will masticate yeah. and then I will manjucate. Oh, no. <laughs> These are real words, everybody. They are real words. They are real, they are words. real words. Okay. Mastication is another very similar one. Do you know mastication? I just yeah. used it. Yes. yes. So it's to chew. Yes. which Specifically, right, to chew. Yes. yes. It is yes. one of the best words to use in casual conversation if you really <laughs> want to make sure people are paying attention. Yeah. I'm off to go masticate. <laughs> yeah. People will give you a second look because they can't not. Yeah. How about deglutition? Have you applied that one in regular conversation? Deglutition? If you're going to chew, you might as well deglutite. Oh, I guess that's deglutite. swallow then. Yeah, swallowing. <laughs> deglutite. Masticate and deglute. That is gross. And I love I it. I don't know if that verb is. Deglutition is a word, but it I don't know. If... A swallower? It's, Come on now. It sounds way too close to Dutch last names. Deglutition? Yeah. Luke Degtition. We've met somebody with the last name Degroot. <laughs> and don't confuse it with deglutination because that means to unglue. And not yeah, just I mean, to it's... take the gluten out of something. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of like ungluing it. It is a protein. That's true. That is true. This word I just find really charming. It is It is borborygmus. <laughs> do you know this word? I'm trying to remember, but is it burping? Or like an, no. Is it like something Clarice, to do, do you know? with your stomach? I don't. Yeah, it's stomach rumbling. Oh, stomach rumbling. Yeah, oh, okay. I knew it was something yeah. coming up out of your gut. My stomach did that right before we went on air. <laughs> yeah. Literally. You could hear it in the microphone. You could, and I told it to be quiet. Now it has a name, Borborygmus. Borborygmus, no. yeah. Oh, yeah. It traces back to the Greek, Borborizain, meaning to rumble. And that Greek word is thought to be onomatopoetic. So the ancient Greeks, oh. apparently, when their stomachs rumbled, it sounded like Borbor. Borborygmus. Listen, Socrates. Not just glurbal glurbal, which is what mine does. Yeah. Do we have more quiz words, Emily Brewster? Or oh yeah, this one is pronounced a yod, but it's spelled really monstrously. O e i l l a d e. Thank you, French. A yod. It's three feet in Boston accent. It's a yod. That looks so bizarre. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any words I can think. Of. Is it something having to do with oil? It's the only thing I can kind That's of. That's what I was thinking too. But the French word comes from Latin. O-C-U-L-U-S. That's your hint. Something to do with seeing? Seeing. Yes. Oh, okay. And a yod is a glance of the eye. 
especially in ogles. So if you, and, and maybe, and, and, and I think it's especially used in context of flirtation. Oh. So, although I, I don't know how well it would work really to use the word in the context of flirtation. I, I think it would not go over well. You know, if somebody is like using the word a yod in a, in a pickup line, I don't know. It's. It sounds like somebody who went and got their manducation if they do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds like something you'd only use in voiceover. <laughs> right. He looked at me with a yod. He threw in a yod at me. He threw in a yod at me. <laughs> now it's an audio romance novel. Okay. Singultus. 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 Yeah. No idea. This is one where like, you say, oh gosh, okay, have you tried drinking water upside down? Have you tried like putting peanut butter on the roof of your mouth? Yeah, hiccups. Hiccups, <laughs> yes. It comes from the Latin word singultus, meaning a sob or a speech broken by sobs. <laughs> Hiccups do sound like sobs. They They're just like, like funny yeah. sobs. Unless you've had them for a really long time and it stops being funny. But it's really funny at the beginning. Starts- yeah. Well, when you were a little kid, did you ever like cry so hard and sob that it turned into hiccups? Yes. I've seen people do that to this day. Yeah. It's very sad. Now, yeah. now I'm bummed out. Last one that I have for you is consopition. If I don't eat or enough bran. No. Okay. Consopition. I have no good guesses. This one may share a root with the word soporific. Okay. I forgot what that word means. Inducing sleepiness. Oh, yeah, okay. But you need to do this if you're yawning a lot. Consopition is a lulling to sleep. Aww. Someone needs to consopite you if you're if you're doing a lot of acetancy, I guess. Right? <laughs> like ideally, someone is going to consopite you and send you off to dreamland. This all sounds like one of the labels of like an old timey medicine, like you would read about the remedies and it would use words like this. For all of your constipation. <laughs> Find yourself it in fits it's of not ossetancy. terribly euphonious. No. <laughs> the Latin word consopire means to put to sleep. Oh. So much nicer to say lullaby. Though. <laughs> yeah, totally, right? <laughs> and now I'm tired and I want that coffee. All of these words are very formal words. They're all from the Latin side of the, the French slash Latin side of the family. And these other words that we've mentioned are all from the Germanic side of the English family. Lulla comes from obsolete English word lulla. That was just a word that would be used to lull a child to sleep. Hmm. So, la, 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 la. Oh, a lullaby. And the hiccup also, that. you know, the two branches, main branches of the English language. For many of these words, we of course have, or for all of these words, right, we have another more common word that we use regularly. And these Latin words are just fancy, formal, often medical terms. We've we've mostly just dropped them by the wayside and said, no, thank you. But now you can use them to impress your friends. You can. And you should. Next time you have borborygmus. Tell them, hey. Yeah. yeah. Let's go masticate. That's funny every time. Thank you, Emily Brewster, resident worship from Merriam-Webster. <laughs> Thank you, Monty and Khalees. Tomorrow on The Fabulous 413, it's another jam-packed show as we head to Franklin County to hear about Cider Days, the best time of the year! And speaking of cider, it's one of the core ingredients in Albin's Fire Cider, and we'll speak with the creator of this home remedy. And if you also forgot that this weekend is when daylight savings ends, we'll speak with Dr. Karen Johnson, one of the Western Mass contingent of folks who seek to stop using daylight savings entirely. Thanks to the Tireless Fabulous 413 team. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.